and welcome back to Joker Men. It, it occurs to me that I I didn't tell you this, Ian, but I think we might need to change our uh, our tagline, amend it slightly. A podcast about Bob Dylan. I was thinking about it, and actually, I think the more accurate tagline would be a podcast about Bob Dylan albums. Interesting. Because this isn't really about Bob Dylan in that sense. I mean, we're not trying to tell his life story. No one can know the inner workings, the mysteries of of Bob's personal life, except those close to him and, and, and he himself. And so this is really more about Bob Dylan albums. Bob Dylan recordings. Okay, I see that. But what about like the movies and stuff? Well, I... I well, you said Bob Dylan recordings. I think that could even... <laughs> that's broad enough to include movies. I guess, yeah, you can record it to film. Yeah. Um, maybe we can scrap the whole idea. Uh, never mind. Well, we can we can workshop this a little bit. It's about Bob Dylan broadly. And uh, that broad umbrella, that, that uh, big tent approach uh, today is going to encompass the very first live album that Bob Dylan ever recorded. Yep. And it's called Before the Flood. Before the Flood, which is an interesting title. Our good friends at uh, wikipedia.com, a uh, very trustworthy source as always, uh, claim that the title of the album comes from the novel Farn Mabul by Yiddish writer Sholem Ash. <laughs> oh. I didn't realize that there was anything Yiddish Having that this album had anything to do with Yiddish. Yiddish is trending on Twitter right now. Is it? Is it actually? Yeah, I don't know why. Maybe they knew that we were going to talk about this, about endangered language Yiddish, um, a language more people know some of than they realize. I think. Yeah, it's uh, it's you know some Yiddish words have worked their ways into the. Uh, into you know the American dialectic, uh, or excuse me, dialect, I would say. Um, anytime you see anything having to do with Judaism trending on Twitter... You can assume it's something good. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's steer far, far clear of that um, while paying respect duly to Yiddish, a great language. Sure. And discuss this album, Before the Flood, um, Wow, now I'm curious about that Yiddish thing. But uh, something I'll have to research on my own time. For now, what what is uh, this album to you? And uh, what are your thoughts going into it? Um, I mean, I, th- I think it's worth, uh, as, as it is for all of the records, right? It's worth evaluating it sort of um, in the context of what uh what was going on at the time so this was uh this was 74 uh came out looks like june 20th 74 um all the cuts are from los angeles shows actually uh from the forum in inglewood um uh, i guess actually there was one song recorded from a new york show but uh, everything else was from the forum which is cool so uh so yeah i mean this this uh, it it all comes from like the big bob is back tour in 74 right which uh which he mounted with the band uh after several years of really just kind of dicking around at that point right um more or less 
we had it, it's basically everything that we've talked about uh, on this show. Um, Self portrait in seventy, and then we get a we we get uh, Pat Garrett and that uh, terrible Dylan uh, um, uh, fake album that Columbia put out, and then Planet Waves, and then all of a sudden he just shows up out of the blue with uh, with this arsenal of old songs ready to ready to rip and roll. Yeah. Um, so we've really thoroughly covered the dicking around period. Right. <laughs> but even the dicking around period, like, uh, the, the time that we've been talking about things has been compressed, uh, since we've just been doing podcast episodes one after the other, but like self-portrait was 70 and then it was a couple years before anything happened. And the next thing was the Pat Garrett soundtrack. And then, uh, and then it was a couple more years until, another actual album came out, Planet Waves, at, you know, the beginning of 74. Um, so, like, it was really, like, five years at this point since uh, Dylan was regularly active um, uh, in the in the recording scene. And then, obviously, from here on out, he's going to get on a much more steady kind of pace uh, going into 75 and, and later on. But, like, this, you know, he, he had been absent from the scene for, you know, for a long time when, when this shit starts rolling out. Not to mention the fact that during that period there were all these stylistic change-ups and different approaches that he took that weren't the Dylan red meat for the fans. Um, right. I mean, we, we've obviously, if you've listened to any of these episodes, you know what we're talking about, the self-portrait <laughs> and uh, Nashville skyline, the country star Dylan, the Dylan just doing cover after cover, um, and changing his voice to that sort of mellow CC, the country croon. But this moment and, and Planet Waves, which we discussed on the last episode, these are the first documents that show what I think is a really exciting uh, evolution in Dylan's career into the approach that he'll take in into the in end of the 70s, absolutely, but even a bit into the 80s, this uh, return to the older Dylan voice, in a way, to the to the heyday, mid-60s electric Dylan uh, sound. But it sounds like he's a, a grown-ass man uh, at this point when he sings. Yeah, I, th- I think we'll we can we'll get into the sound of the record and stuff, you know, in a in a second when we start talking about the songs themselves and stuff. Uh, but yes, it definitely does sound. There there are there are elements of the sound that call back to you know what he was doing earlier, you know the the thin wild Mercury sound or whatever in the mid '60s. And then there are also I think there are uh, like you said like you know some some evolutions. Uh, I guess you could say, not that. I think they're all necessarily as successful or as positive. It almost seems like he's trying to prove himself with this record. Uh, and certainly once we get into to blood on the tracks, right? Cause like, again, when he was, when he was absent from the scene for so long and all he was pumping out in the meantime were movie soundtracks and, you know, self portrait, basically the, like the, the rock and pop scenes had kind of passed him by, you know, like we talked about it a little bit on, I don't know if it was the last episode or the one before, but like, you know, Can is releasing records and Steely Dan is releasing records. I don't know that Dylan was uh, knew of Can at the time. He probably, he probably didn't, but the rock, you know, like the, you know, Cream and Rolling Stone writers and, and uh, shit and Enemy and, and stuff, like they, they were all aware of, you know, what was going on in the scene. And like, 
I have to imagine that for some people in 74, for instance, Dylan just seems like he's like kind of an, an antique, basically. Old hat. Yeah, exactly. There's a, an interesting thing I, I saw was like the single cover art for um, On a Night Like This. It says like the historic new Bob Dylan on it. Right, or, I saw that. Like you said, like I get the impression that it's Bob sort of going, well, wait, wait, wait a minute. Don't think I've gone soft here now. Right. Don't think that. And you hear that in the approach of being like, it has an edge to it. Um, he has a really commanding frontman style that he kind of hasn't had before. Um, on Planet Waves or on? On, on Planet Waves, but absolutely that like comes into fruition in the live setting of Before the Flood. Yeah, I think that's 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 kind of the thing with Before the Flood, and maybe we can start actually talking about the record at this point. Like, um, the 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 Before the Flood like signals a fundamentally like different kind of approach to what what Bob is trying to do, I think, and like how he perceives himself and how he wants to be perceived, you know, in the in the greater public. Um, he's basically on a a greatest hits tour already in 1974 you know just uh 11 years after you know inventing rock and roll basically um well inventing inventing a modern or maybe some would say postmodern rock and roll right but you know him and the beatles obviously um in 63 4 5 um but yeah so i i think this is really kind of like you know, to use sort of a political term, it's almost like reactionary um, hmm. in in that, like, instead of instead of trying to, like, break further new ground and stuff, which was happening out there with the cans and the Steely Dans and the Roxy Musics and stuff like that, the Enos. David Bowie. Um, uh, Bowie, exactly. Um, Bob is instead, you know, reacting against that and kind of uh, uh, returning to this uh, this Eden period. Um, when things were simpler and he was on the top of his game. And obviously there's a reason that, you know, that he can do that. And there's a reason that he should want to do that. And we should want him to do that because these songs all kick ass. But mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's sort of uncanny to, um, to see this guy, for me at least, that was so groundbreaking and so far ahead of everyone else out there. Creatively. On Before the Flood. Creatively, yeah. As a, as a writer. Uh, yeah, as a writer, but also as a musician. Sure. Um, I mean, did you did you listen to that um, the the bootleg record that I a- asked you about the '66 one? The bootleg series from uh, the the Royal Albert Hall show. Yeah, and the, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. Um, I mean, those are obviously great. Uh, <laughs> that that one features the the most stoned performance of like a Rolling Stone. It, <laughs> I just feel them having just smoked like a really powerful for 1965 or whatever joint uh before going <laughs> going on and playing that because it's so like you never it's it's pretty it's great but i i get what you mean i mean the luxuriance like the the decadence of those performances of those songs when they were still very fresh it feels justified in a way because of how new it is that he's still actively coming up with that material or had just come up with it. Um, whereas, yeah, I do, I do see what you mean that this record and the approach that, that the music takes on it partly. Yes, it is like a greatest hits victory tour, but 
I, I do wonder how much of it is um, Dylan trying to perf- see what it's like to perform these now that he's a father, now that he's a ma- like a grown man who has uh, taken some time off, lived more life. And um, it's interesting that the result sounds so angry. Yeah. The reason I wanted to like counterpose this against that, that live Royal Albert, Albert Hall record, which wasn't actually from Royal Albert Hall. Um, there's some weird mythos behind all that. Yeah. The um, real but, Royal Albert Hall. There's like a separate thing. That's yeah. There's that. a separate one. Um, you use, you, you said like the decadence of those songs. And like, I, I think decadence is like, that is absolutely the word that applies to the sound on before the flood. And like I think, I think the um, before the flood is is decadent. That's like the perfect ah. word for it. But the the way that he was playing a decade before with the band when they were still you know the Hawks basically it was same same players and stuff on that record. Um, it sounds like punk rock basically, or as close as you get to punk rock in 1965. It's hard and it's sharp and it's angular and it's uh, it's it's firm and driving and some of it's a little ramshackle obviously, um, but it's. Um, it just it sounds like so much more vital and like effervescent to me than than the arrangements on Before the Flood, which are which sound like I said they you know they sound great and it's it's awesome. I can only imagine how awesome it must have been to see him play this shit in '74 um, after a prolonged absence and seeing like man he's back. Um, but he's just you know it, it's I I, I kind of feel like he's inventing the classic rock paradigm with this album basically like the 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 template for you know these greatest hits tours where you just kind of you trade on your past glories and you get people to come out to arenas and pay a bunch of money for tickets and pay a bunch of money for beers and shit and buy t-shirts and stuff um and there's you know there's nothing wrong with that that's what that's what rock grew into um and i guess maybe maybe dylan is inventing something new with this record um and it's that like kind of business model and that template for all the bands that would follow um it's just and it's it's different than what he's done before, and there's something there's something just slightly kind of um, you know uh, tragic about that to me. Well, it's it doesn't have that wide eyed, uh, I guess, uh, innocence that those early shows with that are electric have, where it's not just that the audiences were um, rejecting this new thing; it was also you know, or embracing it as the case may be when, when those first happened, it was also, I think Dylan and, and his band, uh, riding this wave of discovery of this new thing. And, um, here the only new thing that's being created is a sub genre. They aren't creating a new genre anymore. Right. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think you made a great or uh, mentioned something perfect there, uh, like the audiences, right? Like the, just like the way the audience is, in or is is reacting to this stuff. Like that's the thing with live records, right, um, is you can hear kind of what the vibe was like, what the energy was like in the room when it happened. Um, and like the 66 recordings, like the audience, you know, they're, they're clapping and stuff. But those are also the recordings when someone calls him Judas and people are like booing him and shit. And here in 74, people are going crazy, like, you know. As soon as they, as soon as they recognize like the first lyric from a song, or they hear like a you know a, a chord that they remember, the audience like hoots and hollers and raves and stuff. And uh, and I think you know I don't know. There's you, we you just we've lost a little something by not having that kind of confrontational 
um, energy at this point. He's not. He's trying to please people uh, with this record. He's not trying to do his own thing. I think that what those people who booed Dylan when he went electric were concerned about and what disturbed them was that that connection um, might be lost. That they the people who saw him go electric and were upset were having maybe a bit of a premonition that a few years down the line, Dylan would come out and play the hits. And the only thing that the audience would feel when they hear one of these songs is... Um, a little dopamine rush at recognizing it. Right. It's not like a transmission anymore. Right. And, uh, that is kind of delusional. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but I sympathize slightly, but this is rock and roll baby. And, uh, it's, it's, it's never been fully intellectual. It's, there is a dumbness to it. And, uh, with that dumbness also comes, uh, strength the energy and power and um that's what we're getting a lot of when dylan jumps into uh most likely you go your way and i'll go mine on before the flood yep at the beginning um you know it's it's a great way to to start the record um and uh certainly it's a more uh driving hard driving kind of uh version of it than you get on the record um, you know, on the original studio record. Yeah. I mean like the, the energy or, you know, uh, you called it like aggro, I think when we were texting about it or whatever, um, like that, you know, that is, that is fun. And it's like, it's, it's, uh, it, it is really cool to see that he's still around, that he can kick this much ass. And, you know, there is, there is something to be said, I think for like sort of re- reconceiving, recontextualizing, reinventing, whatever, um, the, the arrangements for all these songs. Um, this is something that obviously you and I are, are very familiar with having seen Bob, on the never ending tour, um, you know, over the last couple of years, it's something that he's carried with him throughout his career, you know, the ability to kind of recreate all of his old classics in whatever style he happens to, um, happens to have found, uh, found at the, at the moment. So in that sense, I guess this is, kind of um you know a document of something new in a live setting more so than in in the recorded setting this is this is setting the template for you know when we get to uh rolling thunder and then like the budokan um album a couple years after that and then you know every everywhere else he would go but yeah i mean most likely you go your way and i'll go mine it's it's classic what 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 else can you say i mean i just uh love the way that he shouts and screams in this one there's a lot of shouting and screaming all throughout the record there's nothing twee or uh, at all about this um right and notably absent from the track list are many of the more literary tracks from that golden era that he's happy to pull say this song from right he's going for like the the big muscular stompers um or ones that he can with relative ease turn into that i mean just listen to him like go uh when you go your way and i go mine it's like so uh yeah aggro super aggressive and it would have been the absolute nightmare that those people um those those poor poor souls who who were sad when bob dylan went electric this is what they were afraid of. They were afraid uh, of high T Dylan. <laughs> yeah, high high T Bob. That's a good uh, 
This is Bob. Uh, this is Chad, Bob Dylan, just crushing whatever was left of virgin folk Bob Dylan into dust uh, with the sound of his, his roaring voice. Yeah. Yeah, he's uh, he's definitely kicking ass up there. Um, and the band behind him, I, you know, the band sounds good. Um, it's it's it definitely veers on um, uh, uh, veers towards indulgence at, at a certain point. Um, not not on on uh, you know this first song um, necessarily or, or the first couple songs, but um, I don't know uh, some of these uh, some of the other songs. Once we get to them a little later on, it starts to be a little. Um, you know, not not too aggro or too muscular or whatever for me, but just like you're talking about the fact that they've discovered synthesizers early. Yeah, that <laughs> that, that that is definitely part of it. it early it's synthesizers a, in it's in a the it's 70s. a very uncanny kind of sound. I, I guess it's probably just an organ of some sort. Um, but um, or uh, let me see. Uh, yeah, the liner notes call it electric piano. Um, but, uh, yeah, it is, it is odd to hear what basically sounds like it's a synthesizer, uh, on these, uh, on these classic Bob tracks. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, after, uh, most likely you go your way and I'll go mine, we get into one of my favorites, uh, Lay Lady Lay. And here's like, I think this is a perfect example of like, I, the, this, this sound definitely does a lot to rev up some of the tracks and make them maybe a little more compelling or exciting, certainly in a live circumstance than they might've been previously. Yeah. Um, but for Lay Lady Lay, like I'm, I feel like I'm missing something here when, when you I don't knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I'm knew, sorry. I'm I sorry to it. be that guy. Um, hopeless romantic over here. That's me. Yeah, you, we've we've lost the country croon. We don't have the echo anymore. No. That classic Nashville skyline echo. Um, and it's um, like that's uh, there, there's something that just doesn't fit for me with like this um, this really rambunctious kind of sound, and then the, the lyrics for and and the mood and like the feeling that that song conjures for me. Um, but I know you're not as much of a fan of uh, Nashville as I am, so maybe this works better for you. It's not that I'm not, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not as much of a devotee. I'm certainly, uh, I definitely appreciate Nashville Skyline and the country croon. Um, I guess my uh, initial thought about the approach and how it works with this song is, yeah, I think that it's definitely sort of incongruous with the the lyrics um, being shouted so and it being so... Um, intense but it does it does have a bit of a an urgency like a romantic passion to it um i think it's possible to sort of enjoy it that way if you want to just try to recontextualize this song and and think of it as maybe like a plea for uh to like a please stay type of thing which the lyrics support um so I don't think it's totally unwarranted, but I, I see what you mean. I mean, I, I think uh, it, it works definitely a lot better, like for the next couple songs, like Rainy Day Women and Knocking on Heaven's Door. Rainy Day Women is, um, if we can just go straight to that, this is a great version of it, I think, because that song is uh, ripe for this kind of treatment. And, and I had a, a bit of an insight about this song listening to it. Um, <laughs> 
this is absolutely about um, being canceled. It's, uh, you know, in this, in this day and age, in this charged political climate, it certainly has, uh, <laughs> it has that, uh, that subtext to it. Do you, think, do you think Bob would have signed that Harper's letter? Uh, that, that thing hovered at the fringes of my consciousness, and I did not engage. You didn't miss much. What they they wanted to be able to have free speech? Uh, yeah, I mean it's it's the same uh, the same conversation that everyone's always having these days, and the only correct option, as far as I can tell, is just to not engage on either side. Uh, yeah, this song's about being told by blue checkmark twitters that you have done uh, ableism or or something, right? If there's any song that's made for this kind of uh, rootin' tootin' sound that he and the band have here, it's this one. Um, the uh, that that guitar riff that Robbie Robertson's got here, it's like you know 1.25 times as fast as it is on the record. Um, really, uh, you did the math. I'm I'm a real smart guy. What can I say? But yeah, it, it uh, just sped up a little bit, and and the way that Bob is kind of yapping these uh, these lyrics, uh, I, I think it it it. It's a lot of fun. Um, I kind of I feel like if he would have concentrated just on a a more specific like set of songs um, from his back catalog, that it could have made more sense for me or like worked better cohesively. Um, like you know, basically, if it were like the first side of um, uh, uh, bringing it all back home, and then Highway sixty one, and then you know a couple cuts from Blonde on Blonde, and that was it. I think that like the that kind of sound uh, and those kind of songs make the most sense for this. Um, make the most sense for this arrangement. Um, although the next one also knocking on heaven's door, I think this is maybe like the only song on the record that that really works with that uh, you know the quote unquote electric piano, um, <laughs> you know, the synthesizer basically. I think that like actually adds a lot to 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 this version of that. Oh, well, wait till we get to Stage Fright, though, because that song, the <laughs> intro to that is, like, incredible. But, yeah, uh, Knocking on Heaven's Door, that and Lay, Lady, Lay, I really kind of find it charming um, that he's doing those songs, like, in the same way that he's doing Rainy Day Women or, or Most Likely You Go Your Way, that he, as if those were, you know, old classics that he's he's just going to do them all in this consistent uh aggressive rock style right this is a, an interesting opportunity for dylan i guess to show publicly which songs of the last few years he considers up there with those other with those older now cla- basically instant classics right right so yeah like knocking on heaven's door absolutely lives up i think in this performance to the the promise of its potential anthemic quality yeah i also like how he's uh uh, this is something i think that he has continued to do live quite a bit throughout the rest of his career but knocking on heaven's door has an extra verse in it this um this one instead of just two verses like it is on the record or on the soundtrack record, this there's there's a third verse um, that's in the middle that uh, that wasn't on the initial you know two minute two and a half minute cut. So it's nice to hear him kind of stretch out uh, a song like that that definitely deserves to be stretched out. Yeah, um, recognizing that oh that one got really popular uh, and then writes another verse. 
real quick. <laughs> I wonder if he wrote another verse after the fact or if there always had been another verse initially and, and the soundtrack just made him cut it down to a two and a half minute, you know, two verse version. Could be. Who's to say? Um, yeah, good version. And the audience seems to be lapping it up if that's in fact a real organic audience sound and not something that the studio uh, piped in later. Yeah. Which is, you know, something that happens on these live albums throughout history. You can hear the audience kind of come and go throughout the record, though. And there's that there's the line in uh, It's All Right, Ma. Uh, even even the president of the United States uh, sometimes has to stand naked and they go wild because this is 74. They're just post Watergate. Tr- Trump. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is uh this is about the uh the freaking Cheeto in chief. Yeah, I was thinking about that line and how how wild they go during it and um just wondering how the, the resonance of that line doesn't it's not good anymore. <laughs> because yeah. uh now like people are already inundated with awful political cartoons of Trump naked and uh it's just an unpleasant thing to think about um has he performed that since Trump's been in office? I hope not. I can, uh, <laughs> I can pull it up here on old BobDylan.com. Imagine if he like had, had said something about Trump on Rough and Rowdy Ways. How bad would that <laughs> sound? If in the middle of it is like, and even Donald Trump has to pay his dues <laughs> or something like that. Even if you're I'm, an orange Cheeto, sometimes you get those railroad blues. Uh, that's what... Uh, that you know, if if Dylan was John Cale, that's what he would have done. I'm glad that John Cale has like delayed his latest album for like four <laughs> or five years because pro- I just know probably it's, for the best. I I've seen photos of him and he's had a little pit. There was a photo where he's wearing a little it's Mueller time pin, Ugh. and uh, I just thought John, no, don't do this. Um, I'm glad. Yeah, I'm glad Bob knows well enough to. Uh, to stay away from that shit in his older age. Yeah, Bob. Um, Bob. Bob knows too. Um, it's never Miller time. Yes. Uh, it's all right, Ma. It's all right, Ma. Has not been played since 2013. Okay, thank God. It's all right, Ma. It's Miller time. <laughs> so was this all one show or like? No, I mean no, it's not. Mm-hmm. But is most of it like actually from a show in order? It, uh, let me see it. They, uh, it's mostly from two shows. They, they played two shows actually on February 14th, an afternoon show and an evening show. Um, and most of the, most of the cuts are from those two sets. Uh, they, they also played the forum the night before on the 13th. And so there's a couple songs from there. And then knocking on heaven's door is the one song. Uh, from the New York show um, a couple weeks earlier. Um, but yeah, for the most part, it looks like it, it, the the tracks are cut from the afternoon and evening shows from February 14th, Valentine's Day, I guess, right? Yeah, uh, I guess so. Imagine, imagine going to that show with your honey. Wow. In 1974. And having her be like, I'm bored. Yeah, exactly. I don't know any of these songs. <laughs> Girls don't like Bob. Does your girlfriend like Bob? Um, she uh, Grace likes some some tracks, but she's not. You know, I, I can't say that she's a 
she's a huge diehard. What about uh, Annie? Annie likes Bob, sort of. But you know what's funny is I've been trying very hard to um, find like the one song that will break through, and right. the the one that seems to have stuck um, is uh, she really likes Idiot Wind. Idiot Wind's a great one. It's a it's an amazing song to uh, I so def- yeah. I mean, short answer. Uh, yeah, if you like Idiot Wind, then you like Bob Dylan. All right, maybe I'll try that uh, for Grace. Yeah, just a you know, this is a great uh, trick. Is you try you 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 put Idiot Wind on the queue in the car with your girlfriend, and uh, when it when it goes on, and she goes, um, "What is this?" and you just go, "Shh," and then you listen to the whole thing, and then you go, "Did you like that?" and she says, "Yes." And you say that's Bob Dylan. You like Bob Dylan now? Damn, you got it. You got it all figured out. You, it's like you uh, you laid a trap and then you sprang it successfully. Yeah, was not that impressed by um, it's all right, Ma. You should have played her like um, Woogie Boogie or something and, and seen what she thought. Yeah, you like this. You like Woogie Boogie. <laughs> it ain't me, babe. It, it ain't, ain't me, me babe, babe. Is next. Yeah. Um, which yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, I mean, this whole thing's pretty samey in terms of Bob's sound and approach. We we need not spend, like, a ton of time talking about the tiniest subtle nuances when basically what he's doing is he's taking the songs you know and love. He's taking It Ain't Me, Babe and uh, Ballad of a Thin Man, and he's he's saying, what if these were done by somebody with... 50% more testosterone than I have. <laughs> and then he he does it that way and it sounds Right. It sounds like that. Yeah, th- this is uh this is one of the ones that I'm I'm thinking of or was thinking of earlier where I said, you know, the the this approach doesn't doesn't pay dividends uh, 100 100% of the time. I think that uh this is like it ain't me babe is, is to me it's like a very kind of um like emotionally affecting song and like it um it uh it's it's one of the ones that really hits 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 you square in the heart and the way you know this this kind of approach to it that energy and and uh you know howling sound that works well on rainy day women for instance you know this this just kind of like trivializes the song a little bit um and he does you know later in the record he he does kind of come back out and do like the you know the solo Bob with the acoustic guitar kind of bit for a couple songs, right? Um, and like I, I think you know if he was gonna play this song, this 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 one seemed like it would have fit better in that kind of mood, that kind of sound. Maybe a un, unpopular opinion, but I have always felt that "It Ain't Me, Babe" is sort of a song that could have been left on the cutting room floor of this era. Whoa, Be- whoa! Because uh, I just think that he does it better on other songs from the time. Like if he had put in positively fourth street here like i would love right. to hear dylan do like a really angry band backed version of, of positively fourth street i that's that's a great point yeah that like i i don't think that it ain't me babe is a bad song at all but it the needs that it it, it seeks to fill have been covered by songs i like a bit better 
Well, Bob would seem to disagree with you because he has played this song a whopping 1,070 times over the course of his career, which, as far as I can tell, is the most played song of, of any of the songs that I've looked up so far, at least. Yeah, no, that's um, a huge number. Wow. That's uh, quite a few, although I'm just looking now, Blown in the Wind, he's played 1585, so uh, there's at least one that's a little more popular for him. But I, I do think that's a good point, like um, that live record, uh, the 66 one, just to throw it back to that one more time, like the first two tracks on the electric side, because that was when he was doing the whole like, you know, acoustic side and then electric side. The first two tracks on that aren't songs that like were ever recorded and released and put on a record. Ever. Right, right. Like they were just live songs that he was playing live and that was it. And they're great. They're great fucking songs. Um, and Positively Fourth Street obviously was like, was it released as a single or was it, was it only as on a the single? It was a single and then it was on the greatest hits, yeah. the first greatest hits record. Um, but it was never on a studio record. Um, I should so, say yeah, like, briefly that, yeah, I mean, It Ain't Me Babe is better than most songs. But, like, uh, <laughs> it's great. I mean, it's it's a very good song. But, yeah, I just up against something like Positively Fourth Street or, or, for that matter, Baby Blue or Like a Rolling Stone. These are sure. all songs of... Um, toxic masculinity <laughs> these are <laughs> these are all songs uh about like being very pissed at a dumb person who who wronged you and also being very pissed at yourself kind of uh you know that that classic well-trod dylan theme yeah they're songs about being a cool guy the next song that he plays uh ballad of a thin man is um sort of the the other side of that coin <laughs> where he's talking to a man saying, you are stupid. Uh, true. He, he has two kinds of songs from this era, from the, you know, that golden period where he, he is talking to a, a woman or a young or a girl and he's saying, you are stupid. And then on the other hand, talking to a, a, an adult man and saying, you are stupid. He's a, he's an equal opportunity insulter. Um, yeah. This song uh, comes across fine you know you got that like weird spooky like dracula tiki lounge type of organ i don't know if i have much more to say about bout of a thin man on this but um if we are going to just transition into sort of talking about the playing for a, a moment the band you know they they're here on up on cripple creek with the next track there's a stretch of just band songs coming up some i like more than others but boy even even the ones I don't like, I feel like the way that they sound, it's like every group of dads that gets together and plays music, um, <laughs> they are all chasing this dragon of like wanting to sound like this. This is yeah, the guys who take dick pills to watch porn. Um, uh, this is hey, this is what they're going after. You're, you're talking about your father and mine here too. So be tread lightly. My- my my father knows better than to to try to play any music himself. Oh, he's not a musician. Uh, no, he's he he likes listening to music, but he uh, playing it has never been his specialty. Um, but I'm sorry to insult uh, your father if that's if that is what I was doing. That's what you've done. <laughs> that's what you've done. Uh, apologies, apologies to all the dads out there. My dad plays um, bass in a band. Does he? Do they play like original songs, or is it like a covers band? Both. But more, they've done originals. What, uh, what, what, what do they cover? 
I don't know what the covers have been. Like DMB? Eagles? Um, no, like... Journey? Honestly, they probably covered a, a couple band tunes. Yeah, that's fair. You could certainly do worse as far as dad rock goes. Yeah, I mean, the band... Some of their stuff I like on this, like, significantly more than others. I have a short list of, like, my favorite tunes that they play versus ones I think are just all right. What do you got? So the ones that I think are just okay, but, you know, solid. I got uh, Shape I'm In, uh, Cripple Creek, Endless Highway, and... uh, When You Awake. And When You Awake. And then the ones that I think are pretty great are I Shall Be Released, The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down, Stage Fright, and uh, The Wait. Yeah, I would I would generally uh, agree with that assessment. I'm, I'm a fan of Cripple Creek. Uh, I think that's got a nice, uh, to, to bring back a favorite word of mine, that's, that's got a nice chugle it's to it. It's absolutely yeah. a chuglin song. <laughs> and no, it rules. I mean, like the lyrics are just like, I love being a drunk idiot. Like, this is the best. I This woman... <laughs> This woman enables my my lifestyle. <laughs> um, it's pretty cool stuff. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the night they drove old Dixie down, like super anthemic uh, song about being a Confederate soldier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the thing with the band. You know, like I I don't I don't know they're Canadian first of all, uh, which Canadians can never. You can never hold them to the same standards as an American. Well, besides just blatant anti-Canadianisms, um, you know, if you're <laughs> if you're going to if you're gonna like do this whole like romanticizing the Civil War, like the the lost cause, you know, the uh, Southerner shit, like I like I guess that makes a little bit of sense if you're an American, but like if if you're a Canadian, you're just role playing as a Confederate soldier. Like I don't. I don't I don't I don't want to do I don't want to do cancel culture to the band. I don't want to apply 2020 morals to what was going on half a century ago, but like it just I don't know. It's just, it's just like fucking weird to me. Like of all the things you could be obsessed with and interested in, like that's that's your that's your thing as a Canadian. Yeah, this is my thing with the band is no matter how good they might be, they'll always be Canadian. And so they're never going to be as important as an American band. And that's okay. They get free health care. That's uh, that's a pretty spicy uh, spicy take, I gotta say. Um, I, I'm I'm kind of just joking, but I think uh, we can both probably agree that uh, Dan Behar is uh, the, the only exception. good Canadian yeah. rock and roller. Absolutely, he's the only one you need. That's the great thing about him is his whole approach encompasses all rock music that came before it, and filters it through a peculiar. Um, yes, Canadian uh, lens. Um, but yeah, I mean that's uh, uh, you know the the second half of this first side is is all band tracks, which um, you know I, I, some of them some of them are fun and uh, and good and like uh, the night they drove old Dixie down. I think it's legitimately like an awesome song. Yeah, it rules. Uh, uh, you know, uh, divorced from uh, whatever sort of silliness they were they were up to there. Um, oh, and the the but, intro to Stage Fright is like. I had to play it back like four times. Like it's yeah, so stage. that like keyboard intro on it is incredible. It's so cool. Yeah, stage fright is uh, is is another banger. Absolutely. 
but um, when when I get to this section on the record, I'm usually just anxious to uh, to kind of get through back to the Bob material. I mean, I when I listen to it lately, I've been trying to trying to appreciate the the band's contributions more, and uh, it's not that hard to to appreciate it for me uh, anyway. I think like uh, the weight and and I shall be released like that beautiful, that like raspy falsetto on I shall be released. Uh, that's so great. And, and the weight is, is great. Although, uh, I learned that he doesn't say Annie. He says Fanny. Fanny. Take a load so off Fanny. So it might, uh, girlfriend is really disappointed. I was going to say, yeah, you can't, you can't, uh, have this be one of your, uh, wedding songs. No. <laughs> after this sojourn after this after this period of band world uh we've got bob comes back um well th- i think we've reached the halfway marker of this uh s- this record um and so why don't you take a little break for a few days <laughs> and um get yourself a beer and uh have someone hold your seat, put your sweatshirt or the t-shirt you just bought at the venue onto, onto your seat at the, um, the forum forum. And, um, we'll be back after, uh, everyone in the band, uh, takes a pee. This has been Joker men. And, uh, join us next time for half two of the evening with Bob and the band, Bob and the band. Yeah. Joker man. Don't want to have some friends.